guys, and welcome back to the FFP. My name is Christian, and today I'm going to be breaking down our top uh, fantasy impact players coming out of the draft and just seeing what these rookies are going to be able to do and what they're going to offer your fantasy team. This is an incredibly important thing to be able to do because, well, you can't really afford to miss out on the Saquon Barkley of this year's draft, who Barkley, by the way, finished number one among running backs in fantasy scoring his rookie year. You also can't just start taking random shots at rookies and hoping to be right because you'll probably draft Josh Rosen, who was taken 10th overall and in one year lost his job. And I'll tell you right now, 100% of fantasy owners who drafted him were disappointed. So that's what we're going to be doing today is evaluating these guys as they go from the college level to the NFL level and telling you uh, real, really the, the real from the fake players, they're going to offer you a huge boost or no boost to your fantasy lineup. I will be sticking to basically just the first two rounds of the draft and discussing only skill position players. The reason for this being this is already going to be a long video and I am not going to make a four hour video. It's just not happening. So that's what we're going to be doing. I will post a top 10 fantasy impact players on our website. So I'll be specifically ordering them amongst all the positions overall to help you guys who might be in any dynasty or rookie drafts. Make sure to go check that out. There will be a link in the description of this video or of the podcast, wherever you may happen to be watching or listening to this. So Without any further ado, if you guys enjoyed this video, leave a comment down below and tell me what videos you guys want to see next. On Friday or Saturday, depending on how things go, we'll be posting our uh, first batch of rankings. So we'll be starting off with our quarterbacks and going through with the integrated rookies and everything happening now and get going on really finalizing and officialing our rankings for you guys. So that's what we're doing right now, guys. Let's get started with the quarterbacks and our first guy. So as obvious as it is, we got to start this video off with Trevor Lawrence. First overall pick, there's a lot of fantasy value there. And yes, there's some bust potential, but I'll put it out front right now. I don't think he's going to be the next Ryan Leaf. I think he's got real potential to perform in the NFL. Not sure that maybe he's even the best quarterback in this draft, as there are some really competitive quarterbacks who landed in some really great spots, i.e. we'll be talking about Justin Fields in a little bit. But um the thing is, you can't argue with it. He's productive in the air. He was productive on the ground. He played great against bad teams, and he played great against good teams in the regular season and in the playoffs. He was just nothing but production throughout college. There's a reason he was taken first overall. Uh, he's even got weapons. I think DJ Chark is a good wide receiver one. Yes, he disappointed you in fantasy last season, but... Gardner Minshew was his quarterback, and his coaching system and scheme and the offense just wasn't great as a whole, so I can't really say that that's DJ Chark's fault. You do get a new coach who could absolutely revitalize and revamp the Jaguars' offense. However, Urban Meyer has never been an NFL head coach before, and there are some major question marks, right? Now, we've seen a lot in the past where guys like Sean McVay have stepped in and found immediate success, and even within just the first couple of years, Cliff Kingsbury has found a fair bit of success. However, there are certainly more stories of coaches busting and just kind of sucking it up their first couple of years in the NFL. So that's a real possibility to consider. But Trevor Lawrence sitting there, um, this offense is going to be built around him. He is the face of the franchise right now, and I think he has got the weapons to succeed. Comparing him to some guys like last year, right, where's his fantasy value going to lie? That's a big question mark because Justin Herbert finished 10th in fantasy quarterback scoring, and I think Trevor Lawrence could beat that. However, there's some things to consider. Trevor Lawrence, I think, is more mobile. 
He's going to be more productive on the ground, but I think he'll be less productive in the air. Remember that Justin Herbert did that with a, a record-setting 31 passing touchdowns. I don't see that happening. I'm expecting more like 22 to 26 passing touchdowns from Trevor Lawrence. However, he's going to be getting probably five, six, seven on the ground. I mean that. I think he's more mobile than a lot of people give him credit for. The big concern for me being, one, I like DJ Chark, but DJ Chark is no Keenan Allen right? I mean, he had Keenan Allen and Hunter Henry last year. Herbert did, so he certainly had the weapons, and he had a much better offensive line than Trevor Lawrence does this year, so uh, that's definitely going to be the thing to see. If defenses are pressuring him, making him nervous, putting him off balance, that's how you're going to stop an immature quarterback, so we'll see how that goes. The offensive line is, is truly the big question mark for Trevor Lawrence's fantasy value, and I'll say this. A lot of people are going to draft him much earlier than I think he is going to be worth, so I won't be drafting Trevor Lawrence despite how much I like his fantasy value. In fact, what I would say for you is go out and get a different valued pick um, just simply out of the fact that the hype around him is going to be real, and you're going to get more value per ADP by taking another quarterback. Finally, I want to say that I think that he's going to have a very inconsistent season. And I know this sounds like an unusual prediction to make because fantasy points are fantasy points, but I wouldn't be surprised at all to see him have huge fantasy games and terrible fantasy games. We saw that with actually Josh Allen last year. Josh Allen finished number one in weekly top five finishes amongst quarterbacks. He was the guy, right? But did you know that he tied Derek Carr and Kirk Cousins to finish, I think it was 10th? among quarterbacks in weekly top 12 finishes. Doesn't sound like the Josh Allen you know from last year, but he really carried himself in those phenomenal games. And in other weeks, was very mediocre. Not bad, just average. So that could very well likely happen with Trevor Lawrence. And where's the connection come there? Why am I making that prediction? Well, you know where that comes from? It comes from the mobility aspect of these quarterbacks. Something unusual, and I'll be honest, I don't know why this is the case. I simply know that this is the case, and it is that quarterbacks with strong mobility and the ability to score with their legs often do so the same weeks they throw touchdowns. I don't know what it is, but if a guy is able to run it in the end zone, suddenly he can throw it. And if he can't throw, then he can't run. Like They're so interconnected, and I wonder if that has to do with matchup. Um, again, looking into the numbers and I'm not finding a great correlation, the only correlation I've found and the only thing that I know about that for sure to be totally concrete about is that they tend to be somewhat interconnected. We just don't know why. So I would very well expect to see some strong inconsistencies from him. And if you're going to draft Trevor Lawrence, you need to know that there are going to be weeks to not play him. Uh, let's move on now to the number two overall pick, Zach Wilson. Um, I don't see a whole lot of fantasy value here, and it's not his fault. Uh, simply playing for a Jets team that I don't trust. They had the second worst pass-blocking offensive line in the league last year, according to Pro Football Focus. I do trust their metric in this area. I think that they have a good evaluation and skill to measure how effective an offensive line is. And speaking of effective, the Jets' offensive line was not last year, and I don't think that they will be this year. They don't have any stud, reliable wide receivers. I mean, one of the biggest keys to Herbert's success last season was having Keenan Allen, a reliable guy that you can turn to, and he's going to make the catch no matter what. I don't really see that with the Jets. We also have some concerns with injuries, a shoulder injury, a fractured thumb. There's a lot of uh, being bit, quite a bit banged up last year uh, throughout high school and college for Zach Wilson. Um, last year he was healthy, uh, but again, there are some concerns in that area. And he did break out in 2020 uh, with very efficient 
Uh, we look at it, he was second in the FBS and completion percentage with 73.5. He was third with 33 passing touchdowns against just three interceptions. He was 10th with 307.7 passing yards a game, almost uh, about 36, 3,700 total yards. And he rushed for 10 touchdowns, was at 70 attempts, 254 yards. Uh, so it was a low yards per attempt, just 3.6 yards. But he was effective, and in 12 starts, he led them to an 11-1 and record. But that was really the, the peak of his college career. Um, we've said this before on the channel, or at least I have, and I think quite a few other experts have said it too, where it's just like, I want to see this guy have two good seasons in college. One good season, um, maybe to me doesn't scream consistency. Maybe it screams upside, but downside, things like that. There's definitely some concerns with Zach Wilson. What you're getting with him is a strong arm and an accurate arm, but a guy who doesn't have a lot of mobility, he doesn't have a lot of capability to move around as much as you would like, and that's a big problem for an offensive line that is so crappy. He's going to get hit a lot, he is going to get hurt a lot, and he is not going to have the, the time that he needs to throw the ball. Playing for BYU, the thing that really benefited him was that he was able to use that arm strength because he had time to let his wide receivers get downfield. He's not going to have that time this year, and for me, this is a recipe for disaster. Zach Wilson might be a great NFL quarterback in the future, but it certainly won't be in 2020. Uh, let's take a look at Trey Lance, number three pick overall. Um, there's a lot of talent there. There is a lot of upside there, but he's also probably the riskiest pick in the entire draft, and I do mean that. They took him again three overall. That is early for a guy who played just one game in 2020 because of everything happening with COVID. And so essentially what we have with him is one season to look at, and it sure was a successful season, and he definitely had um, a lot to, to offer looking at that year. But uh, for me, there's not enough. So, so when you look at some of the stats, he was, again, very successful. He led their team to 16 straight wins, an FCS title. He ranked second in FCS yards per attempt with 9.7 yards. But again, uh, not a lot of volume there. Just 2,786 total yards doesn't scream huge volume. He was fifth in completion percentage with 66.9% completion percentage. And he didn't throw an interception the entire time that he did that, ranking 10th in rushing yards per carry. Uh, and have 14 rushing touchdowns. He looked great. Uh, the concern is um, didn't do it for a ton of years, right? Didn't do it in 2020 basically at all. He had one game, and it wasn't an amazing game. Uh, so there's a lot of concerns there. There are. This is, you know, a team that was very talented. The Bison were loaded with talent and didn't play the toughest competition. So can he can he step up into that next level and show us that he can do it against teams that are, you know, a lot of weeks going to maybe be better than you are, you know? Uh, who knows? The other thing being, they still, at least at the moment, have Jimmy Garoppolo, and that to me screams he might not even be the starter. They're going to make him earn it for sure. They need confidence in him. They were willing to take a bit of a development pick, full well knowing that they've got a short-term option if they need to do that. So, you know, I think that was a good move by the 49ers. It was a smart move and a patient move to understand that they want upside over immediate success. That being said, because of that, I don't imagine taking him too early and having a whole lot of fantasy value from him despite his potential. Again, I think they've got some weapons on that team. They do. Debo Samuels and George Kittle are great, but that's really his only two good, uh, two good weapons. And I see them being more as a team that's going to run the ball a lot and they're going to play defense and they're going to coach well and they always manage Kyle Shanahan's offense and their teams. They're just successful. He is a winning coach for sure. Um, but I don't see him being uh, the type of coach that's going to put Trey Lance in a situation to offer you this sort of fantasy value that, again, uh, I don't want to compare to the same guy uh, too much, but 
that Justin Herbert was last year, that Joe Burrow was before getting hurt. We're not going to see Trey Lance throwing tons of 300-yard games. Um, it's not going to happen. I imagine even if that offense is moving the ball and effective, you'll still be finishing with 250, which, again, short of that 300-yard bonus that we're, we're always looking for. So let's move on now. Justin Fields, at pick number 11, I believe it was for the Bears, was one of, if not the uh, most valuable picks in the draft. I think it was quite a steal. Um, There's a lot of risk here, for sure. But let's go back to his high school years in Georgia. He was playing for Harrison High School, and he actually won Mr. Football in the state of Georgia. You know who he beat out to do that? A quarterback who lived, I believe, just 20 miles away from him, Trevor Lawrence. Going into college, uh, Justin Fields was compared to Trevor Lawrence, and some believe that he was going to be better. Now, we look at it, and there was a much more production during college from Trevor Lawrence, but at one point, they were very comparable, and they still might be very comparable. We know how this goes. It's very possible that he steps up to be that quarterback that we thought he could be, and he was. it's not like he was unsuccessful in college. He was very successful. Uh, he was a Heisman Trophy finalist his sophomore year, ranking third in the country in touchdown throws with 41 against just three interceptions. He was also fourth in passer rating efficiency with 181.4. Uh, I will let you guys for fantasy know that that is not the same stat that they give for NFL quarterbacks. There's a different rating system, so that number isn't very comparable, but it's great you know, for him to be fourth in that number is awesome. And then we come to 2021, where he wins Big Ten Offensive Player of the Year for the second straight season. He finished the year ranked sixth in the country in completion percentage with 70.2. And he rushed for five scores off 383 yards. So, uh, And that's just in eight starts. The thing to notice is postseason games, his playoff games, the games that counted were a bit inconsistent from him. They were up and down. He struggled against Northwestern in the Big Ten Championship. They did win, but he didn't play well. 114 yards and two touchdowns, not great. However, he bounced back in the semifinal win over Clemson, where he had 385 yards and six touchdowns to one interception, but then came up short against Alabama in the title game, where he threw just 194 yards in one touchdown. That's a big concern for me. I want to see guys win on the big stage. However, he certainly did have some big games. It was impressive to see how he played against Clemson. So big upside, big downside. And he's got the weapons. I think Anthony Miller there, Allen Robinson there, and even David Montgomery, who really stepped out of nowhere. I think he's going to beat out Andy Dalton to be the starting quarterback. And I think he's going to beat out Nick Foles, so that'll be tougher. Um, so right there, huge upside. I'm not going to be drafting him, but I'm going to be watching him to see how he performs because I think he could win that job and have huge fantasy value. But probably in the years to come, not as much this year. <laughs> All right, guys, let's round out the quarterbacks with Mac Jones. And I'll be honest, I don't really want to talk about Mac Jones, and I don't want to talk about this many quarterbacks in this video, or this video is going to get super long. But he was a first-round draft pick. What was he, 16th taken off the board? I mean, that's way too early for me to not mention. So let me just say this. Alabama quarterbacks don't produce in the NFL. Mac Jones could break that trend, but he's playing for the Patriots offense that doesn't have a whole lot of weapons. I mean, his best weapon is a tight end that the Chargers were completely willing to let go and a wide receiver and, you know, maybe one wide receiver option that's doable, but never been a solid wide receiver one, more been a fair wide receiver two, and and he might not even be the starter behind Cam Newton. So I don't see a lot of fantasy value there, but I do have to talk about it because he was taken so early. 
He does have some long-term potential, but I'm just going to put it out there right now. Of all the guys we've talked about, he's the quarterback I like the least so far. Um, maybe that's straightforward of me, and maybe I'm wrong. I've been wrong, and I will be wrong again, but that's my prediction for right now. Let me know if you guys have any reasons to disagree. Yes, we saw some great uh, collegiate-level success, but he also had some absolutely phenomenal wide receivers. Don't even get me started on Jerry Judy and Henry Ruggs, and then look at that. He's got another two first-round wide receivers taken this year. Um, this is not even really a conversation to have. He has been pampered with great offensive line, great running backs, and great receivers. Of course, he's produced. What's he going to do now when defenses are better and his weapons are the same? Who knows? So that's uh, really my thought on it. Let's move on to the running backs. All right, guys, let's talk about the running backs. And there are essentially, if we're being honest, only two running backs that are worth taking anywhere near early or mid in your draft. All other running backs are going to be late round flyers, and I'm not going to address them. So we're going to stick to Najee Harris and uh, Travis Etienne as the two guys to evaluate. But before we do that, I want to look back at the last couple of years and how rookie running backs have produced because there have been some phenomenal options in the past. We look back to 2020, <clears throat> excuse me, Jonathan Taylor finished sixth in fantasy scoring, James Robinson finished seventh, Antonio Gibson finished 14th, DeAndre Swift 16th, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire 22nd, J.K. Dobbins 27th, Cam Akers 45th. Other than Cam Akers, they all offered a lot of fantasy value to you, and Cam Akers was very bad most of the year, but was good enough at the end of the year that at least if you're in a dynasty league, you need to consider keeping him. But that is one, two, three, four, five, six, seven guys from that draft class that offered some fairly solid value at the running back position. Go to the year before, Miles Sanders finished 19th, Josh Jacobs 21st, and David Montgomery 24th. And the year before that in 2018, Barkley finished 1st, Philip Lindsay 13th, and Nick Chubb 17th. So 2020 was an absolute outlier of a year where more running backs were very valuable than any year that I can imagine in the last however so long. It's uh, just so much value came out of that draft class. So I don't think that we, you know, I think a lot of people are looking at this year saying there's no value at running back. And there's certainly less value this year at running back than most years. But remember that last year was an outlier. However, it's not con it's not uncommon. I mean, look at where Zeke finished his first year and even Christian McCaffrey, his second. I'm sure, he's not a rookie, but still young and you get the point. Barkley finished first his rookie year. I mean, there is a lot of value. You even look at Jonathan Taylor. He finished sixth, James Robinson seventh. Neither of those guys were even expected to be the starter. So it was such an unusual thing to see that. But again, there's huge value there. Um, so I just want you guys to be aware of that. Running back is the position, unlike quarterback and receiver, where you can absolutely 100% produce from day one, even like even if you are not going to be the next you know, great Emmett Smith or whatever, like you can produce in the right system and not everything needs to fall into place perfectly. So first running back off the board taken by the Steelers, Najee Harris, got to talk about him. Huge fantasy value here. There's not a whole lot to say against him. There aren't weaknesses in his game. His college career was filled with nothing but production and he played for a college team that produces nothing but NFL running backs. So let's look at it. He ranked second in the FBS with 251 carries, third with 1,400 yards or 1,466. Topped all running backs with 26 touchdowns on the ground. He also scored four times as a receiver with 43 catches, 425 yards, 9.9 .9 yards per reception. So yeah, he led the nation in touchdowns. And you know, at the running back position, there's really nothing better than scoring. In fact, in fantasy in general, there's nothing better than scoring a touchdown. So 
obviously that's there. Um, but what I really care about to see is, you know, how did he perform in big games? That's something that I've always really valued as college players to see what they're going to do when the competition gets tough. And he won the SEC Championship Game MVP award where he went 31 for 178 and two TDs on the ground, not to mention 67 receiving yards. Well, yeah, and three receiving touchdowns. Then he scored three times in the national title game where he had, what, two rushing touchdowns, a receiving touchdown, seven catches for 79 yards. He was nothing but production. But let's be honest. Let's throw all that out the window. Um, Here's what matters. Nick Saban knows how to produce pro NFL running backs. There's just... There's nothing like it. Take a look at it. Derrick Henry, Sean Alexander, Mark Ingram, Kenyon Drake, and Josh Jacobs have all come from the same team and the same coach that Najee Harris is coming from. So I've got no concerns right here. Great pick by the Steelers. He is hands down the starter in that offense. He's going to get volume. And he's a guy who needs to be a second round pick in your draft. I mean that. I know that sounds crazy for some of you guys who don't like to draft rookies. I don't like to draft rookies. But if you try to wait till the third round, you're going to miss him and you are going to regret it. So yeah, Najee Harris, huge value. Um, I'm curious to see how he's going to be in the NFL as far as his ability to work in the passing game. But he was certainly productive, at least at the college level. So we'll see how that transfers over. Travis Etienne, a lot of value there, guys. Um, We're going to get to the fact that Jacksonville drafted him because that's weird, but um, let's just talk about his college career for now. He was just nothing but productive. Heck, go back to his freshman year where he led Clemson in rushing despite not starting any of his 13 games that he played in. He had 107 carries for 766 yards. Guys, that's 7.2 yards per carry for a guy who's known for his ability to be productive in the passing game. That's pretty darn good on the ground game as well. And then again, he had 13 touchdowns, five catches for 57 yards, and that was just his freshman year. Uh, we move forward to his sophomore year where he wins ACC Player of the Year, set the school record with 1,658 yards, 24 TDs, and t- on 204 carries. Uh, what's that? 8.1 yards per carry. He was just insane. I mean, just crazy productive. It's absolutely insane to see just how how he's been able to get it done because he's a guy who's known for doing it in the passing game, making the catches, making the, the big plays and being a multi-purpose back, but uh, it's effective on the ground too. So it's almost hard to evaluate what he's better at and really what he's so good at. Again, the only thing that concerns me with him and I, you know, I was going to sit here longer and talk about his stats, but I'm not going to because his stats were great. They continued throughout college. That was just his freshman and sophomore year, and they continued throughout college where he was still a productive back every single year. He was a guy playing in the championship game, playing in big playoff games, producing against good teams, and it just continued, and it continued. He just He's always been productive. So it's weird that unfortunately he get drafted by the Jaguars, who just had a rookie last year. James Robinson was phenomenal. James Robinson had four and a half yards per carry, over a thousand yards rushing, and not to mention James Robinson had forty nine catches, three hundred and forty four receiving yards, ten total TDs. Um, it's weird, guys. I don't get it. I really don't. Jacksonville Jaguars have needs on the offensive line. They have needs on the defense. They have a lot of needs all around. So why did they go with the running back? because that's how good Travis Etienne is. They took the best player available because they were smart to do so, and it was the right draft pick to make. It hurts James Robinson's value, and it hurts Travis Etienne's value. But at some point, that running back position is going to shake out. And I think a couple of years from now, it could very well likely be that it is you know, easily Etienne's offense and that he is producing and phenomenal. 
They made the right pick here, despite as weird as it sounds. In fact, the worst pick from this draft was probably the Giants. But I'm going to talk about that later because that was just dumbfounding to me as to how they made that decision. So again, he doesn't offer a lot of immediate fantasy value unless James Robinson gets hurt, you know, um, because it's just weird. You know, he was so productive. So you got two great running backs there. This could be the next Nick Chubb. Uh, Kareem Hunt situation it very well could but their fantasy value is certainly limited and I won't be taking him anywhere near where I'm taking uh, Najee Harris because Najee Harris one thing that he's got that ETN doesn't is Harris is clearly hands down the starting running back there's certainly no arguing that he is the guy in Pittsburgh Let's move on to the wide receivers now. I think the NFL is changing, and it should be said that wide receivers can make a bigger impact sooner than they ever have before. Go back to about 2011 when A.J. Green and Julio Jones came out. That's when the switch began to happen. We started to see guys like Mike Evans have 1,000-yard receiving years their rookie season. And now we're at the place where you can somewhat, if it's the right guy in the right situation, depend on a rookie wideout. Not everyone. There's still a risk there. That's what it means to be a rookie. But this isn't 2004 anymore. This isn't the Baltimore Ravens winning the Super Bowl in 2000 off their defense and having, you know, Trent Dilfer as their quarterback. It's all on the offense and it's all on the receivers, and they have been built to produce from day one. That being said, the Bengals made the right pick at number five, getting Jamar Chase. Jamar Chase is an interesting situation because... You go back to 2018, he was a freshman. In 2019, he was phenomenal. And then in 2020, he opted out of the season. So we have one year of true evaluation for Jamar Chase's talent. That's it. We got one year to look at. So it's a darn good thing that year was absolutely phenomenal. Not only did he win the award for the, I don't even know how to pronounce that, but uh, he won the award as the nation's top receiver that year and helped them win a national, helped LSU win a national title game over Clemson. He had nine receptions, 221 yards, and two touchdowns in the championship game. He also led the FBS and set SEC records with 1,780 receiving yards and 20 touchdowns on 84 catches and 14 starts. He's nothing but productive. Um, So yeah, it's funny to see that he didn't fall further in the draft. I expected that he would because he had opted out of the season and we didn't have much film on him. But from the film that we had seen, he was hands down the number one college receiver coming into the draft. That is the truth. And guess who he's going going to connect with his rookie year? The quarterback who was throwing him the ball back in 2019, Joe Burrow, who I think has proved to us that he at least has some potential to be a great guy. We haven't seen him for a whole season, haven't seen him healthy, but Jamar Chase could very well end up being the number one receiver in that offense. So for me, I am valuing him incredibly high. Um, but let's move on now to our next wide receiver because there's not a whole lot to say about Jamar Chase. It's nothing but upside. There's a little bit of risk, but at wide receiver, I'm not worried about risk because there will always be another wide receiver. So I always draft for upside. Uh, Then Jalen Waddle gets picked by the Dolphins. This is a confusing pick for me as far as fantasy value goes. I understand the decision by the Dolphins to get some more weapons for Tua. However, I don't know how to evaluate this because I don't think Tua offers fantasy value to his wide receivers, and there's already quite a few wide receivers there. I mean, they signed Will Fuller, and they've got, you know, a fair bit. So there's some competition for Waddle, and I have to wonder what type of role he's going to have. Um... He's a little bit smaller, maybe, you know, and again, not the, the biggest guy. I wonder what his impact and what his role is going to look like 
He offers some fantasy value. He offers huge upside. But for me, here's what I understand, guys, and here's the way I see it. Someone is going to be hyped on him. He's made some big plays. He had a great college career, and he shows huge upside. So someone is going to value him super highly, and they're going to take him before me. And I'm going to be okay with that because I'm going to target someone else. I don't think he's going to have an immediate impact to be as value as some people are think he is going to be. Um, looking into it, he was a part of one of the best wide receiving courses in college football history in 2019. He only started three of the 13 games that he played in because there was Henry Ruggs and Jerry Judy, not to, not to, to mention Devonta Smith, and then here Waddle himself. So it's just so competitive to be in there. But you look at his junior season, just started off with a bang. 28 receptions, 591 yards, mm-hmm. 21 yards per catch, and four TDs. He's also kick returning and punt returning, very effective there. Um, broken ankle he suffered, really hurt him, really set him back, and that that stopped the season that he was going to have. And so there's definitely some concerns with that injury and things. I don't value him as a huge fantasy option again because of the offense that he's in. There's quite a bit of talented mouths. They've even got a fairly good tight end there in Mike Gusecki and the quarterback who Tua seems to me like he's just not going to be the guy for Miami. That's just my thoughts on it. I'm not going to discuss it too much, but uh, let's move on and talk about Devonta Smith. Uh, If you're an analytics guy, you have to think that Devonta Smith is the number one wide receiver out of this draft. I mean, he's nothing but just a stat monster. Uh, His 23 receiving touchdowns led the FBS. He had him finishing fifth in career all-time nationally. So he had 46 receiving touchdowns in four years. That's first in the SEC and and fifth nationally in just all of college football. He led the country in receptions with 117 and yards with 1,856. Became the record holder in career receiving yards in the SEC. So yeah, um, hard to argue with those numbers. Finished the year strong, he earned MVP in the college football semifinal win over Notre Dame, where he had seven catches for 130 yards and three TDs. And then he excelled in the first half of the national title game. 12 catches, 215 yards, and three TDs. That was against Ohio. He did get sidelined with a dislocated finger, and that's probably why he didn't win the MVP for the national title game as well. Nothing but production there, nothing but talent. And guys, the biggest thing that's got to be there for him is that he proved he is a volume receiver. He loved to see 7 to 10 catches, something that not a lot of receivers can do. He he was making constant plays, constantly getting open. He's available and a weapon on every single down. Why is that great? I mean, yeah, we know why that's great, but that's especially great because he's going to be the number one receiver in an offense for the Eagles that desperately needs any receiver right? I mean, he's the guy there now, and I would not be at all surprised to see as a rookie him going out there getting six, seven, eight catches a game all season long. I know that sounds crazy, but that's what I'm expecting. His touchdown totals are going to be low. I don't trust that offense, but the volume is going to be high, and if you're in a PPR league, I absolutely love this guy. Huge value there. I don't think he's going to be able to finish as a wide receiver too, But in that wide receiver to three to four range, that's right where he's going to finish. And he's young, so he will continue to produce. The big question mark there being the very inefficiency and ineffectiveness in the passing game from Jalen Hurts. So I do want to hear from you guys. What do you think of Jalen Hurts? Because to be honest, I think that Carson Wentz was the better option, and I'm surprised that they're sticking with Jalen Hurts. And I've even heard some things from the organization of the Eagles that many people would agree with me on that, at least it sounds like. So pick number 20 in the draft, the Giants select Kadarius Toney. Um, 
I actually think that he could be a very valuable weapon to the Giants. He's a good slot receiver at six foot 193. He plays a lot bigger than he actually is. He's very physical. And again, being the 20th overall pick, it's hard not to value this guy. However, there's a few things that concern me. His quarterback situation. Um, and I'm a guy who's actually defended Daniel Jones, but I also can't sit here and say that Daniel Jones is going to add to Kadarius Tony's value. But let's be honest, th- this isn't even a conversation. With Kenny Galladay, Sterling Shepard, Darius Slayton, John Ross, Evan Ingram, and oh yeah, Saquon Barkley, the 92-catch guy or whatever he had the last year he was healthy, it's hard to see that there's going to be any volume for him, at least as of right now. There's no fantasy value there simply because no matter how valuable he might be to that offense, there won't be enough volume. I mean, it's as simple as that, guys. Volume is half the battle, and if you can't win the first half the battle, you're certainly not going to win the second half of the battle. So let's, you know what I mean, let's start and just start evaluating guys based off of that to begin with. He's very talented, but it doesn't matter. I know that's crazy, but it, it is interesting to see. I mean, look, at they've got John Ross, and they've got Darius Slayton. They've got their guys who are going to stretch the field. They've got their Sterling Shepard, who's a great possession receiver. Kenny Galladay is the big playmaker. He is the stud and the, the kind of, you know, the anchor of that passing attack. You've got your check down guy. You've got your mismatch in Evan Ingram. You, you know, Barkley out of the backfield. There's just no, there's not room for him to have fantasy value. Uh, finally, the last first-round receiver taken, Rashad Bateman. He is the opposite, um, where he is now coming into an offense that desperately needs a wide receiver, too. All they've got is Marquez Brown. You know, Marquez Brown's a fair wide receiver one, and they don't have any wide receiver, two, so they certainly needed somebody. However, he's like the sixth wide out off the board. I don't like him as much as I like some of these other guys. He is certainly talented. And I know if you listen to like Mel Kuyper, any of those guys' podcasts, they've talked about how he certainly could have moved up in the draft depending on how things went. But this is a good spot for him based off of volume. I'm going to say he is completely dependent on what we hear this offseason. He is. Because I don't know, to be honest, as much about him as I do these other wide receivers and other players out of this draft. Um... So I want to see what the Ravens are saying about him. It's very much an Alvin Kamara situation where um, when he goes to camp, if the coaches are talking him up, I'm going to start getting excited. And if he goes to camp and the coaches say, oh, he's been good and he's working hard and, you know, they do like the coach speak thing, then I'm not going to be excited about that. So we'll see. This is going to take a mature fantasy owner to evaluate this as the season goes on. And it's one of those reasons we push our drafts back as far as possible because I want as much time as possible to hear as much news as possible so I can evaluate these guys as accurate as possible. Finally, guys, we got one more player to talk about, Kyle Pitts, like one of the most valuable guys in the draft. So let's move on and get to him finally. As the fourth overall pick in the draft at a tight end position, so desperate for just anyone to come along and be valuable, Yeah, man, Kyle Pitts is exciting. He's got a good quarterback in Matt Ryan who has played with guys like Tony Gonzalez, and he he likes to target his tight end. So there's a lot of fantasy value here. That definitely goes against the trend um, in thinking that he will do that because look at 2020, Cole Met was the number one tight end. He had 28 catches, 243 yards, and two touchdowns and finished 40th. That was your top rookie tight end. The year before that, Noah Fant finished 14th, TJ Hawkinson 31st, and Irv Smith 33rd. It's just not a trend in the last however many years or pretty much at all in the NFL for rookie tight ends to produce. Heck, even Rob Gronkowski, probably the greatest tight end to ever play the game as far as pure talent and per game stats go, it's Rob Gronkowski hands down. 
He finished his rookie year with just 500 receiving yards. Now, he did happen to have 10 touchdowns, but that was Tom Brady and the Patriots offense. That was just phenomenal at the time. And it's hard to imagine Kyle Pitts getting 10 touchdowns this year, although he, he could very well beat 500 receiving yards. But it's just tough for guys to go out there as, at the tight end position and have these great rookie seasons. So I can't say I'm too hyped about it in a redraft league. I'm not super excited. In a dynasty league, I'm taking this guy because it's so hard. I mean, if he's going to be the next Travis Kelsey, you need him. Like, just, there's no replacement for Travis Kelsey, and if he happens to be the next, then you cannot afford to miss this pick. I mean, seriously, guys. Looking at it, he was nothing but production in college. He was phenomenal, and again, he inherits an offense with Matt Ryan and the Falcons, who led the NFL in dropbacks and passing attempts. So there's really not a whole lot to not like here. In fact, I'd love to challenge you guys. Leave a comment down below. Is there something or some reason to not like Kyle Pitts? Because I don't have a reason. I think he's got huge fantasy value, and I like him a lot as of right now. The question is, where do you draft him at? For me, he's got to go after Darren Waller, right? He's got to go after Kelsey. After that, I might take him the third tight end off the board. In a dynasty league, for sure. In a redraft league, that begins to change things up a little bit, you know, want to see how this offseason goes. And, you know, redraft league's a little trickier, but we've also got a few more months to work with. So we'll definitely see as we're evaluating him and putting him into our rankings, but there's huge value there. There's going to be some volume there. There's going to be production. One concern being Julio comes back and Calvin Ridley's there, and there's a lot of mouths to feed in that offense, but they've got no running game. They've got no defense, and they do have a productive quarterback. So, yeah, there's definitely a possibility there. I just wonder exactly what it's going to look like is going to depend on his chemistry with Matt Ryan this season. Um, He could see a lot of touchdowns. I don't see him personally seeing a lot of volume. Again, high volume offense doesn't always mean high volume for him. They could very well go down the field with Ridley, down the field with Julio, and who can end up seeing the touchdown off of a mismatch while the cornerbacks and the the coaches are looking at the stud Calvin Ridley or Julio. That could very well happen. He could have a high touchdown mark this year. So maybe what I said earlier was wrong, and maybe he does hit the 10 touchdown mark as a rookie. It's possible, but it seems like a bit of a stretch, and I see a lot more value for him in dynasty leagues. Although... I know you guys who watch this channel, you know, it's just after the draft. If you're prepping for fantasy right now, it's because you're pretty hardcore. And and I don't imagine I said anything about Kyle Pitts that you guys didn't already know. Uh, It seems all pretty obvious here. I am curious to hear from you guys. Do you think he's going to finish as the tight end three? Because he could. Or is he going to fall below that? Are there any other guys that you like more than that? Of course, Robert Tanyan really exploded out of nowhere last year. But are those touchdowns, you know, repeatable? A lot of things going on in my head right now. I'm going to hop off this right now. I'm going to go finish up, finalize, and post our rankings for the top dynasty, top 10, or excuse me, the top 10 rookie impact players. That will be on our website for you to see our specific order. And then I'm going to get to our rankings so we can have those videos prepped for you and posted on this weekend. Guys, thank you so much for you know watching our videos and supporting us. Hopefully we're able to help you guys and help you as you evaluate fantasy talent. You guys have a great day and God bless.